Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Greetings. Wonderful to be with all of our beloved brothers and sisters at Foundation Church. We missed all of you. Our family was in Tennessee last week at Heritage Church, worshiping with the saints there. Uh, I bring you greetings from all of the folks there. Many of you know and love a lot of those folks, but it's great to be back. As you probably know, uh, Pastor Mark and most of the Robinettes are in South Carolina this weekend ministering to the saints there at Foothills Christian Assembly. Uh, and so we want to be praying for them as Pastor Mark, probably right at this moment, is preparing to uh, bring God's Word to those brothers and sisters there. Our call to worship today, as I prepare to uh, preach later about Christ our Redeemer, is the 142nd Psalm. So hear God's word. This is a mascal of David when he was in the cave. A prayer. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, You know my way. In the path where I walk, They have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. And the last verse says, bring me out of prison. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you deal bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now with uh, humble hearts, but expectant hearts, knowing that as we gather to worship you, that you are here with us, that you will inhabit the praises of your people. It's so good to be with people who love you, Lord. We never love you as we should. We never appreciate you and what you have done for us as we ought. But we come today wanting to draw nearer to you, wanting to know you better, that we might love you more. We are your children because you have made us to be so. So we thank you for calling us here. We thank you for spreading a table before us that we might feast with you. 
as the world around us, Lord, uh, doesn't understand. Thank you for the change you have wrought in us. Now make us ready to worship you because you are our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. standing just for another moment as I read my brief text for today's sermon. It's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. This is the Word of God. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your son Jesus, whom you sent, who completed all that needed to be done to redeem your people. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that your word would come alive, that we would understand it better and love you more because of what we hear and read in your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to ask you a question. You can think about the answer. The question is, what is the most important thing about you? What is the most important thing about you? A pastor of a few decades ago, A.W. Tozer, answered the question this way. He said, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God? Probably not what any of us would have answered, but I think he makes a good case. I'll, I'll ask you a very related question. What comes into your mind when you think about Jesus Christ? Maybe if you're old enough like me, you remember a movie from the 1970s called Jesus of Nazareth. Anybody remember that? There was an actor named Robert Powell, a British actor, that had this very starry, glazed-over look when he played Jesus. And I saw an interview with him now, some 40 years later, he's still alive. A friend of his was in a, a chapel somewhere in England or Scotland, and they went to the chapel, and there, behind the pulpit, was a picture of Robert Powell. (laughs) <laughs> you know, as Jesus. And his friend said to him, hey, you know you're in the, you're in the chapel. And so I don't even know if the guy's a believer, but sometimes because movies are so powerful, maybe if you're a bit younger, you remember seeing Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, and Jim Caviezel, that actor who played Jesus, who is a, a believer in Christ. Maybe his face comes to your mind. Well, those, those movies may have done a lot of good and may have helped us to 
to see some things more clearly, but you don't want to picture Jim Caviezel or Robert Powell when I say what comes into your mind when you think of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to help us to think right things about Jesus Christ. So if that is the most important thing about us, and it's important because it impacts how we view ourselves and how we view sin and how we view salvation and how we react and respond to the gospel. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, He's praying to the Father and He says this, This is eternal life. Christ is praying to the Father. This is eternal life that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. Jesus said, you want to know what eternal life is? This is what it is. To know God. We spend a lot of time in the church talking about a lot of things that are important and relevant, but sometimes we get distracted from focusing on Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul said? All this other stuff, put it aside. I preach Christ and Him crucified. So every time I preach, I try to bring us back to Christ, to think about who He is and to think right things about Him. I preached a few months ago on Colossians chapter 1. You may remember some of what I talked about there, that in that passage between verses 12 and 19, Paul is telling us a very clear picture of Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the imprint of, of the Father. When we see Jesus, we've seen the Father. He is the creator of all things. By Him, all things were made, and He holds all things together. He is the preeminent one. He is exalted above everything and everyone. This morning, I want to focus on one aspect of Christ. So as, if this is important, what comes into our mind when we think about Him, I want us to think right things, and I want us to focus on Christ being our Redeemer. Now, we're Christians. You've grown up in church. Or if you didn't, you've spent many years of your life in church. And we hear this word, our Redeemer. I know that my Redeemer lives. And we sing these songs about Christ being our Redeemer. But what does it mean? Once we're Reformed, we learn phrases like total depravity, right? The T in tulip or radical depravity. We learn to say and understand I'm a sinner. Um, we learn words like redeemer and redemption. But I, I think we become complacent about our salvation because we don't really fully grasp what it means that we've been saved, that we've been redeemed. You may have seen in the news this week this pastor, Andrew Brunson, Anybody see that story? He was, he's a pastor that he and his wife have been ministering in the country of Turkey. If you don't remember where Turkey is, it's just north of the Mediterranean Sea. It's where Paul did, spent a lot of his time on missionary journeys. It's where the seven churches of Revelation are. It's where, they called it Asia Minor then. It's where Colossae are and Ephesus and all that. So this man, Andrew Brunson, had been ministering there and he was arrested on false charges and he's been in prison for two years. It's been in the news. What can the United States do to bring this Christian man home? And President Trump, you know, through some various means, was able to bring him home. And so he's back. And uh, I saw an interesting interview with him and his wife. He sat in a Turkish prison. Don't know exactly what that's like. Probably not real pleasant. And they said, are you bitter? Are you angry? And they said, no, we've, we've forgiven the people that did this. And they said, how do you feel about the country of Turkey now? And they said, we love the people of Turkey. We're dying to go back. He said, we really, really want to go back. He said, I can't go back. I'm the most hated man in Turkey right now. But he said, I would do anything to go back. And we, there's people there that we love. 
So the Bible uses stories about being imprisoned. This just brought it to my mind, seeing that news story. The Bible gives us these pictures to illustrate, I think, to us how hopeless our condition is unless and until we come to Christ. Until a few years ago, I didn't really have a very specific, clear, detailed picture of what prison life was like until our friend Jeff Botkin was in town uh, shooting some scenes for a documentary he was doing, and he wanted to get some scenes on the inside of a prison. So Pastor Mark got him into the Franklin County Prison. They called me and said, you want to go along? I said, sure, it sounds interesting. And so Jeff was there with his son, and the two of them, and Mark and I, went to the Franklin County Prison. I don't know if any of you have ever been inside a prison, but that's probably been four or five years ago. I'm still a different person today because of what I saw in that hour that we were walking around in that prison. It was so dark and so horrifying, so depressing, so hopeless that I I would lack words to tell you the emotions that I felt coming out of there other than to say that I left there thinking every day that I'm not in prison is a good day. Regardless of what happens, it's a good day if I'm not in prison. We saw men in there, and when they took us around, they said, you know, picture those guys behind bars, little concrete cells. The person that was taking us around said, don't, don't get close. They'll reach out and try to grab you. They'll do violent or disgusting things to you. Don't look at them. And it was very difficult to even be near these people. And then we walked to an area where there were, I don't know if it was solitary confinement or higher security, where there was just a solid door, no bars, just a wall, solid door, and a little window about this big up high so you couldn't see in there. And Jeff Botkin asked the man, he said, could I get a shot inside that room? And the guard said, if I open that door, there's a man in there who would try to kill you if I open that door. And I said, how often... How often are these guys allowed out? And they said, never. In an hour, I was going to be leaving to collect my personal belongings and head back out to my car. There's men in there that are sons, that are husbands, that are fathers, who are not going to see the light of day. They're not going to see the blue sky or the autumn colors or the sun, moon, or stars ever for 10, 15, 20 years or ever. They are captives. Most of them probably deserve, most or all of them deserve to be in there, or at least they deserve some form of punishment for some crime they've committed. But the hopelessness that envelops that place of men being completely restricted, having no freedom because of something they did, was so dark to me, I just can't even, I can't describe it really accurately. My idea of jail was Sheriff Andy Taylor in Mayberry, right? Remember Otis, the town drunk, and he kind of lets himself in. Hey, Andy, you know, locks the key and hangs it on the wall. Um, That's not what prison is really about. Well, I tell you this, I give you this word picture because this is us. That's what we deserve. That dark, depressing, hopeless, because we have committed crimes far greater than anything anyone in that prison did. We have offended a holy God, and we deserve life in prison in the worst conditions. Now you go, Andy, this is a pretty depressing sermon so far. But I'm trying to give you a clear picture. This is what we deserve. We don't believe it. 
We don't believe it. We think, I'm pretty clean. Yes, I sin, but I go to church. I, I ho I'm homeschooled. I know my catechism. I read my Bible every day. These are all good things to do, but we don't believe that we're like those men in prison. But I'm, I want to remind us this morning, for us to talk about Christ being a redeemer doesn't make any sense unless you think you need to be redeemed. Unless I think I need to be redeemed. So not because of anything we've done, but because of God's abundant mercy, Christ, who the Bible calls our advocate. Again, go back to you've been convicted of a crime that you know you're guilty of. You're going before the judge. And you're hoping and praying that the judge is going to have mercy on you, but you know you deserve punishment. So Christ is our advocate. He's not, I've heard people say, Christ is like your defense attorney. Well, Christ is not our defense attorney. He can't defend us. We're guilty. He could not rightly, justly defend us. Right? We don't deserve being defended. But he comes, and you remember Pastor Mark Hamilton came to us a few months ago and preached to us about double imputation. Christ comes and says, this sinner here is guilty as charged. I'll take, I'll take the crime they did and I'll put it on my record. And then even more amazing than that, he takes off his robe of righteousness and says, they're going to wear my robe of righteousness. Judge, when you look at them, look at my spotless record and I'll take the blame for everything they've done. That is redemption. We're guilty and we deserve the punishment. Romans 5. Paul walks through this argument in the first few chapters of Romans and he comes to a point where he says, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because we did right things to earn any kind of merit with the judge. A few verses later in verse 10, he repeats, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So Christ bought our freedom. He paid a price for it. You know the price that was paid. It was his suffering and his miserable death on the cross. So often as Christians we say, Christ died for sinners. Christ paid the price. Christ saved me. But we're not thinking, I was the one that should have been in jail with a life sentence. Until Christ comes and says, Judge, I got this. I love this person. I'll take what they deserve. Give them what I deserve. A redeemer, I looked up in my Noah Webster dictionary, which all of us as homeschooling families have the big, thick, green Noah Webster dictionary, right? And redeemer, to redeem, Webster says, is to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage. Second definition related is to free by making atonement. So when we say Christ is our redeemer, we think back to... Uh, Ruth and Boaz. I did talk about Ruth and Boaz last week in my sermon briefly. Um, about Ruth and Boaz. I worked it in. Uh, Boaz is the Redeemer. He's an Old Testament figure of Christ. He came to... Re Remember the story where he said, I want to redeem Ruth. And the other guy said, well, I think I'm first in line. And Boaz said, okay. You, gotta, you get her property, but you have to marry her. And the guy said, oh, I can't do that. So Boaz said, okay, then I get to redeem her. So he paid a price that he might have... Ruth for his wife, taking her as his bride. It's a picture of Christ coming and paying the price with his own life at the cross that he might buy his bride. And that's us. 
And you all know that Ruth and Boaz had Obed, who had Jesse, who was the father of King David, and ancestor, humanly speaking, of, of Christ himself. So Christ got us out of jail, is what he did. I thought about calling this sermon uh, your get-out-of-jail-free card, but I thought that was a little bit crass, but that's what he did. He got us out of jail for free. We did nothing to deserve it. Now, the Bible gives us a number of illustrations. I'll just mention a few to give us this picture of deliverance from hopelessness. And they're not just pictures. They're things that actually happened. In the Old Testament, you remember Joseph, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, who's sent to prison. He sits in this dungeon of a prison for at least two years. Not two weeks. Two weeks would make an impression on you that you would always remember. He was there for two years until you remember the story of the baker and the cupbearer and he ends up interpreting Pharaoh's dream and gets out. But to Joseph, it would have looked, when you're accused by Potiphar's wife and you're in prison, not a good chance you're going to like make an appeal and get out. He's probably thinking, I don't know how long I'm stuck here. I might be here the rest of my life. But he wasn't. There was a miraculous deliverance from this hopeless state where Joseph not only gets out of prison, the Bible says he cleans himself up, shaves, gets dressed, goes to Pharaoh, and before you know it, he's presenting this plan to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, good plan, how about you'll be my guy, and Joseph ends up being basically the prime minister of Egypt. That's a pretty cool deliverance. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles had been arrested by the high priest. I'll read you just uh, four verses here. Listen for the picture. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Okay, It wasn't they did their time. It was a miraculous deliverance by God. The angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. Again, these stories I'm reading because this is us. This is me. This is you, languishing in prison with absolutely no way to get ourselves out. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Uh, you heard this one read earlier. I think Jeff read this for us, Acts chapter 12. Herod had killed James. Then he decided, hey, I like how this is going. I think I'll go kill Peter. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Now, by the way, when Herod wants to kill you and he puts you in prison, you're probably under pretty tight security. Would you agree? You're not going to like make an escape when no one's looking. But earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, his life's about to end, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. Soldier here, soldier here, bound in chains. Right? No chance for escape. And sentries before the door guarding the prison. So soldier, soldier, chain, chain, sentry, sentry. He's not getting out. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And chains fell off his hands. 
Here's the last one, Acts 16, that you're probably familiar with. Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. About midnight, chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Pay attention now. And the jailer, that was me, not the scripture. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why did the jailer ask this question? We've heard this story so many times. We go, oh, it's a neat story about salvation. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did the jailer ask, what must I do to be saved? What had he just witnessed? Think about it for a second. Guards everywhere. Chains. He sees these men freed. Thank you, brother. That's right. I'm double good. Why did the Philippian jailer ask this question? He had just seen a miraculous redemption. He had seen a supernatural deliverance. And he said, these men just got saved. Now again, we Christians, we go saved, be with God, heaven. They were in prison with no hope of getting out. And if anyone knows what being in bondage is, it's the jailer, right? He's the one that locked them fast in chains. And he sees these men radically delivered, freed in a way that it was impossible. He saw something that could not be explained. And it occurred to him, these men were just saved by God. And so the natural question then is, what must I do to be saved? I've seen what God just did for you. What would our testimonies be like if people saw in us the change, the way that we live, and they said, what do I have to do to have what you have? I want to be in the position you're in where you're, you've been saved. Of course, Peter preached at Pentecost that God, speaking of Jesus, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Christ himself was, in a sense, in prison, imprisoned and chained by, by death. But death couldn't hold him. Shortly after his conversion, hymn writer Charles Wesley gave us a great word picture, and we're going to sing it later in today's service. By the way, I love these, this hymn that Jonathan picked. Thank you, Jonathan, for always being spot on with uh, the songs that we sing. The song, He Brought Me Out. We sang... <clears throat> um, my heart's overflowing. I'm happy and free. I'll praise my Redeemer who has rescued me. When Wesley wrote this hymn, And Can It Be, he wrote this, and we sing it often. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. What is nature's night? 
Nature's night is darkness, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. And then Wesley sings to the Lord, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. He's saying, Lord, your eye brought forth this ray of light, quickening in the Bible. And the King James means life-giving. Right? He hath quickened us together. He has made us alive again. So he's saying, your eye brought this, this ray of light. I think of Saul on the way to Damascus, this blinding light that brought a quickening ray, that brought new life to this Christ-hating man, Saul of Tarsus. Wesley knew he was in the same position. So he said, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. Wesley acknowledges what I want us to see this morning, that we are in a dungeon. Spiritually speaking, we are in the dungeon like Joseph, like Paul and Silas, like Peter. We are in the prison locked fast with sentries and guards and chains with no way to get out. And Wesley says, I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I hope when we sing that, that that creates a new picture in your mind that it gives joy to your heart to say, that was me. If we truly understood and meditated on the imprisonment that we deserve, I think we'd have more grateful hearts. I think we'd love Jesus more. We'd love ourselves less and we'd love Jesus more, understanding that he is our redeemer. I'm going to close with a little bit of a, a doctrinal point here, and then I'll, then I'll wrap up. So I'll call this points of reformed doctrine, okay, to apply to these stories. All of us are conceived with original sin. We're sons of Adam, Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that being Adam, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all sinned. And Adam, I just bought Geneva a little uh, copy of the New England Primer. Any of you have the New England Primer in your home? Where you learn the alphabet with Bible things. A, it says, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. First thing a child should learn when they learn to read. A, Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. So here's the point I want to make. Some of you may have been, I'm speaking especially to the young people here, the children. Some of you may have been regenerated very early in life. You know, regeneration, when the Holy Spirit changes our heart, it's not something we can see outwardly. Now you go, oh, I see the, the, the beams of light radiating from my child's face because they know Christ. Well, wait around for 15 minutes and you'll see. If your kids are like my children, maybe yours are better, but even believing my children are in Christ, they still have a really, they have some rotten behavior sometimes, Right? They have wonderful behaviors sometimes where they look like little angelic. That's usually when they're sleeping is when they look most angelic. When they're awake, not so much all the time. But the point is this. Maybe you were regenerated. Maybe some of you children, you grew up in the church and you cannot remember a time when you didn't love God. I, I came to the Lord at age 21 and I remember a time when I didn't know God. When I was a child of the devil, I can remember it. I remember my teenage years and my childhood and my young adulthood until that time, not knowing Christ. So, and all the stories we read in the Bible, of course, in the New Testament, it was first generation Christianity. So of course there were many stories of adult conversions and people that were coming to Christ and Paul's writing to them saying, 
like you did the Colossians. Many of you walked in them in these ways and these sins. You lived in them. And that was true. So some of you, maybe especially you children, you may as Christians think, wow, I don't honestly remember. I don't remember walking in darkness. I don't remember not loving God. Maybe there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. If you don't have a recollection of that, it's because maybe you've been a child of God all your life. It doesn't mean you weren't born in sin. Maybe the Lord regenerated you the day you were born. Maybe when you were one and a half and you don't remember. Maybe when you were, like John the Baptist, maybe when you were in your mother's womb. We have promises in God's word as believers that our children born as children of believing parents, that our children are wholly set apart and we have reason to believe that they are Christians. And that's why we baptize newborns, right? We believe that they're Christians. Now, is it true that in some cases, people grow up and become apostate, raised in the faith, and do not follow Christ? Yes. I'm not saying there's a guarantee. I'm not saying, hey, be lackadaisical parents. I know no one in here is. We have to diligently be teaching our children the things of God. What I'm saying to you is, you may not be able to look back, children, and remember a time when you were not in Christ. And that's okay. It's actually normal. It's normative. That if you were born to Christian parents, you would just remember being in church, loving God, being a Christian, not being perfect. Yes, you sinned many times. Yes, you disappoint your parents. All that. We adults do that too, right? Moms and dads and adults. <clears throat> there were Christians in the New Testament that had dramatic conversion experiences. Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus. The Philippian jailer. The Ethiopian eunuch. Lydia. There's many stories in there. <clears throat> My daughter Corinne, who's 15 and a half, well, up until last year, Matthew and I went on an airplane ride, and that was my first child that had ever been on an airplane. Um, except that's not technically true, because when Corinne was about three months old, four months old, we took her on a plane trip to California. So Luke and Laura, you know how long that trip is. Imagine, you know, we didn't want to pay for the extra ticket, so we had Corinne on our lap. And um, so Corinne was on an airplane. She actually was legitimately on the plane, but if you ask her, she doesn't remember. So Matthew would say, I'm the first one to really fly, to actually remember it. Well, not really. Corinne actually was on the plane. She just doesn't remember. So maybe that's how it is for some of you children that you say, I've loved Christ my whole life. I can't remember not loving Christ. That may very well be true. All Christians, all Christians, all true Christians have been freed from the bondage of sin by what Christ did, whether you remember it or not. So if the most important thing about us is what, we, what comes into our mind when we think about Jesus Christ, then we want to think right things about him. Amen? Amen? He's the image of the invisible God. So when we see Christ in the scripture, we see the Father. He's the creator of all things. He holds all things together. Which, by the way, if you're a family with any children, how difficult is it to hold your family together? Like just logistically, Sunday morning, right? Imagine holding the universe together. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He holds all things together. He made all things. He is the preeminent one. And today, let us remember that he is our redeemer. We're not in prison. Praise God. We're not in prison because of him. He freed us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the pictures you give us 
to help us understand things that are too great for our minds to fully comprehend. Lord, I don't know, I doubt that any person in this room has ever been incarcerated, sitting in a prison cell in darkness with the hopelessness of wondering, am I ever going to get out of here? Being in chains or behind bars so thick and strong that we would know that it would be humanly impossible to be out. But Lord, help us to see more clearly that because of the sin in our hearts and the sins that we have actually committed, not just what Adam did, but because of the sins each of us has committed against you, our holy and perfect and righteous Father, that we deserve life imprisonment. We deserve the worst punishment. We thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that he is our redeemer. We thank you that he paid the price, bought us, ransomed us, freed us. May we live with a joy that is, as Peter said, inexpressible and full of glory because of the hope that we have in heaven and because of the light that we have on earth, freed from the power and dominion of sin. I praise you and thank you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.